This is Life in the Passing Lane, an audio biography by me. I'm Alex Bennett. Well, we had left Florida, and that's why this chapter is entitled The Sad Road Home. As you remember, I went to work in Florida at WIOD because, well, you know, there was nothing else out there for me. And they were offering me good money, and it was a terrific job, except I had nothing but problems. The biggest problem being an asshole who worked at the radio station, a big star by the name of Neil Rogers, and he just made my life a living hell. And so everything about Miami became a living hell, and after three months... I had had it, the station had had it with me, and I was in the car, and X and I were heading for the Florida border. And you know, the minute we hit it that day, uh, I, I we just it's like we cheered going over the Florida state line. We were so happy to be out of that goddamn state. You know, oh yeah, it's got Disneyland, and it's got Universal Studios, but it's also got that fucking town called Miami, right? And it, it just, it was just... One of the most miserable periods of my life. As I said last time, I would wake up in the morning, open my eyes and go, oh, fuck, I'm still in Miami, thinking that maybe it was some horrible nightmare that I was going to wake up from. And the only way to get out of this nightmare was to escape it. So we packed up, got in the car. We were out of town, I believe, by noon. And by six o'clock, we had hit the Florida state line. And uh, maybe you can do your math on that, and I'm wrong about the time and how long it took to get there, but all I know is we, get, we had to get out of Florida before we were going to get a night's rest. And we traveled up the coast. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the travel back home. To begin with, I was now without a job. I mean, really without a job, okay? I mean, there were no possibilities, nothing. So I decided we'll head for New York and spend a few days there, and I'll go into a couple of the radio stations there and see if I can if I can dig up any work because after all I had been in New York before, and uh, New York still remembered me. So maybe if I go to some of these talk stations there, I could get a job. So we started driving up the coast, and I remember one story I got to tell you that's kind of interesting. It has nothing to do with radio, and it's not part of my history, but. It was something that both of us were quite overwhelmed by. You know, earlier, and when I lived in Houston, Texas, my wife and I, Ronnie, had taken a trip into what we would call the Deep South. And we hit Alabama and Montgomery and uh, uh, Selma, Alabama. And then uh, as we were in Montgomery, I remember it, it being so bad that, well, for instance, there was a sign that said, Selma Police Authority begins here. That, that I remember that sign. And then when we booked into a hotel, and I may have told the story before, uh, in Montgomery, uh, and they gave us a room, I guess, because my, my name was Schwarzman that I signed in as, they decided to give me the Jew room because as I went to the door of the motel room, I had noticed that it had been painted over, but very lightly, so you could still see the graffiti that had been put on that door, and it was a Nazi swastika. Okay, so this was many years earlier. Okay, so I just wanted to set that in place and the fact that there were, you know, race riots in the South and there were freedom marches and all of that. But now this is post all of that by about maybe 10, 15 uh, years. 
and we're driving up the coast and we stop off somewhere uh, to get ourselves a, a some breakfast okay and it's one of these little you know a diner with a you know a counter and um, we sit down and there are a bunch of people sitting around you know a couple people having some coffee and the woman serving them happens to be black now this is, you got to remember this is the south where a few years earlier you would have never seen this scene and the guys are talking a couple of white guys and they're talking with the uh, with the woman who's serving them and she's joking back with them and it was like nothing had happened in the south suddenly one day some laws were passed and they went okay well we'll accept it and now everybody was eating in the same place being served by varying races and i found this I don't know, somehow inspiring, you know, that no matter how bad we get in America, no matter how bad things can get, you know, governors blocking doorways to uh, schools so black kids can't go into the school and all of that, once that's passed, once the dust is settled, everybody gets along. And I just, I just found that we, in fact, we when we got out of there, I said, that was amazing, wasn't it? And, and X said, absolutely. She said, I never thought I would go into a place this deep in the South, and this was the deep South, and see a, a black woman uh, serving white customers. And probably we go somewhere, we'll see some black customers being served by white, by white uh, service people. So it was just it was just amazing to us and it was eye-opening and it, it uh, made us feel a little better about the South. Okay, but we drove up and finally we got to New York City and I needed a place to stay and um, I guess I could have afforded a hotel. I wasn't broke at that point, but uh, I called up my friend Al Goldstein, Screw Magazine, and I said, we're coming to New York. We're outside of New York. And he says, well, when you're here, he says, I've got a bachelor pad. Okay, and you and an ex can stay there if you'd like to. He said, uh, I just, uh, you know, I just use it occasionally when I want to cheat on my wife and, and fuck around. Uh, so you're, 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 uh, you're, you're, you can have it. He said, however, there's a slight problem. Uh, there's no bed in the place. And I'm thinking, how does he have sex in this thing? Anyway, we pull into New York. We go to, I go to Screw. I get the key. I go to his place, his so-called bachelor pad. And it's really like this one room studio apartment with no bed in it but there were some blankets and some pillows so at night while we were in new york we slept on the floor and uh, uh put blankets over us and pillows and, and and just that's the way we we stayed in new york but you know something wasn't that bad it wasn't as bad as being in miami that's what we kept saying to each other hey as uncomfortable as this floor may be you know we're happy being being back in the game. So anyway, I figured I gotta go. I gotta go. I, what am I gonna do for work? And I'm I'm calling back to my business manager Gary, saying, "Anybody, uh, you have any ideas about who we can approach and who we can't approach?" And he says, "Well, I'll, I'll see who I can talk to." He said, uh, "There have been a few changes." He said, "You know, over at uh, Live 105, in that Ed Cramp has uh, has resigned and been replaced by a guy by the name of Pat McNally." He said. Let me call over there and, you know, see what might be the story. In the meantime, I said, I hear, I'm here in New York, so I may as well hit some of the radio stations, see if any of them remember Alex Bennett. Maybe I can get something that way. 
You know, I got to stop and tell you that at very few points in my life up to that time uh, was I ever out of really out of work. I always went from one job to another. Uh, and if I quit one, it was because there was another one waiting for me. And if I left that one, it was because there was another one waiting for me. So I was never very good at a couple of things. Number one, looking for a job. I'm, I'm terrible at looking for jobs, all right? Uh, I, I, don't, I never knew the process because I never really had to look for jobs. They fell into my lap. I know that sounds ridiculous. And the other part about it is, is that I'm not very good at auditioning. Uh, I'm a terrible audition artist. Uh, that's why I told you that I always told stations, uh, hey, you want to bring me in? Bring me in for a week. Because I knew that after they heard me for a week, they would want me. And it always worked. It worked in San Francisco at uh, KMEL. And it worked, unfortunately, in Florida as well. You know, as I said, Monday, hey, boy, this guy's not that good. Tuesday, he's not bad. Wednesday, uh, did you hear what he did this morning? By Friday, they're asking me if I want to go to work for them. So I'm never very, but I'm never very good at auditioning. If I had to send out an audition, I never got a job by sending out an audition tape. I think the only job I ever got by sending out an audition tape was when I sent that audition tape to Texas pretending to be British. That's about the only time I got a job out of an audition tape. But I've never been much of an audition artist because what I do is not, Here's the thing about people who do auditions. There are people who do great auditions, and then you hire them, and they suck. Yeah, because they know what to do in the audition, but when it's time to do a show day after day after day, eh, not very good. So, uh, but I never was good at, uh, at at auditioning. So, but I I called over to uh, WABC here in New York, and I think the woman that I talked to, who was the program director at that time was a woman by the name of Valerie Geller, who I later got to know later on in my life. Um, and she was the program director of WABC, which was the talk station. It had gone from when I'd worked at WMCA in New York, it had been WMCA's main competitor in the rock field, okay? But then we, uh, as the years went on, it became a talk station. And so I, um, I said, uh, could I sit down and talk with you? And she said, oh, Alex Bennett. Sure, we know who Alex Bennett is. I mean, everybody knows who Alex Bennett is. Sure, I'd be happy to talk with you, okay? And uh, so I made an appointment, and I, uh, I don't know. I have, what kind of clothes did I have at that time? I think I may have actually had to go out and buy a suit or something just so I could look good for the interview. And um, I went over, and I saw Valerie, and we sat down, and we started talking about you know, and so where were you? And I said, I was in Florida, but it didn't work out. It was horrible down there. I had this guy, Neil Rogers, and made my life a living hell. And I think she, she knew who Neil Rogers was and said, yeah, I hear he is really a piece, of, a piece of work. And then we had a very nice conversation. She says, well, she says, I don't know what we have here for you, but let me ask you a few questions. She says, where do you stand politically? And I said, well, um... I'm uh, I'm I'm kind of, I'm a lefty, you know. I said I'm uh, I'm a dyed in the wool lefty. I said I, I've you know that's I've always been. I was when I did radio here in New York, and yeah, I'm still that way. And she says, "Oh, that's not good." I said, well, "What do you mean?" She says, "Our general manager makes it a practice never to hire liberals." And I never heard anything like this in my life because this is a talk station. You know, you want to have left, you want to have right, and you want to have uh, uh, varying opinions on your radio station. But apparently that wasn't in the cards 
for, uh, for, 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 for uh, WABC. She said the general manager just, you know, would not like you if you were a, uh, if you were a lefty. He will only hire right-wing people. And that was the first time I had ever heard that. And what had happened, you know, is that when I went into uh, San Francisco, uh, I started my career there and then went for many years going from one station to another doing these uh, comedy talk shows in the morning, okay? And I had not been in the area of political talk for a long time. And in that intervening time, when I remembered that, you know, I went on and then after me went a guy, what was a guy by the name of uh, Bob Grant, who went on after me. Uh, and then after that, there was another guy who was quite liberal and then somebody else was right in the middle and that was the way it was. But then enough time had passed now that this paradigm shift had happened that went from stations saying, uh, well, we, uh, you know, we like to have this mixture of left and right uh, all talking to each other and so on to, well, the only talk radio that's worthy of having on the air is, is right-wing talk radio. And I, that kind of surprised me. That was the first time I had even heard of that. I guess I didn't pay that much attention to talk radio and what was happening in talk radio. But it had made that paradigm shift, and I, it suddenly scared the living daylights out of me because what I began to realize was that as a liberal, I might have a very hard time getting a job in, in this business. And it was kind of hard to sell the comedy show aspect of what I did before because um, uh, it, it was a different kind of talk radio than these people were used to having. These people were used to having political shows. They weren't used to having somebody on the air who told jokes and talked about popular culture and things like that. So I knew that if I was going to get a talk show job somewhere in the country, I had to be political. And the kind of politics I did wouldn't work and she said but, but could you could you do uh right wing and i looked at her and i said not and get up in the morning and look at myself in the mirror and feel good about myself you know i've got to be true to me and i you know i i suppose i could go on fake right wing politics but i'm not that kind of broadcaster who can fake that and she said well sorry there's nothing here for you um, so I, you know, this depressed me and we stuck, stuck around New York for a few more days and Al was very nice and very accommodating and let us stay at the place. And finally I said to X, I said, we better head back home. Okay. And so we got in the car and we started heading West. And I've got to tell you, uh, I really feel sorry for X. Uh, uh, and if she's listening to this, I, I have to really apologize. I have to apologize, uh, not for any of the arguments that we might have had in our time or the breakups and the getting back togethers and all of that, but I have to really apologize for that trip back from New York. That must have been the most depressing trip she's ever taken in her life. You know, you're traveling across the United States. It should be an enjoyable thing. And for me... I was just depressed. I think I would go 100, 200 miles without saying a word. The depression was just overwhelming. And um, she knew it too. And uh, it must have been just the worst trip she ever took. And the only time that we took a moment out and had a nice time, and this was, this was fun, is we hit 
the Great Salt Lake Flats and these salt flats, and it was kind of fun to walk on water. But then, you know, we got in the car and we kept going. And by the way, I got to tell you, you know, I drove all the way across the United States to Florida, then up to New York, then across the United States back to San Francisco. And I, you would have thought I would have gotten at least oh, four or five different tickets, right, along the way. I didn't get a single ticket anywhere until we hit Wyoming. And I, I was told this later on, that when, later on when I said I got a ticket in Wyoming, people said, oh, everybody gets a ticket in Wyoming. I mean, that's how the state makes their living. But uh, the only place that I, um, I got a, um, a ticket was going through Wyoming. And the cop was very nice, but he said, uh, you know, you got to go down uh, and pay. If you're from out of state, you got to go down right now and pay it off. So we had to go down to the police station and pay off the ticket so I could get out of the state. Okay, because I, I didn't have a, a, a you know a, a Wyoming driver's license. Luckily, I still had my California driver's license and my California plates, because I, as you know, I got into a little bit of trouble in uh, in Florida for not having Florida plates or a Florida driver's license. But I was glad because I would have hated to have to go back and get more California plates and another California driver's license and say, why are you back so soon? So we uh, we we drove all the way back to California, and it was it was hellacious. It was depressing, and I I I believe that right after we got back to California, X and I broke up again. We weren't broken up for the final time yet. Uh, we still had a long ways to go on that one. Uh, we were going to last for another three years at least. But we kind of broke up at that point because I and I don't blame her. I mean, I was no fun to be with. And I'm back in San Francisco. And now I go back to my apartment, which has now been the marina has now been fixed from the earthquake or at least is on on the repair. And my apartment is in pretty good shape. And so I've got that. I kept the apartment and uh, my friend who stayed there of course moved out so I could move back in although I told her if you want to sleep on the couch for a couple of nights go ahead and so I was back in San Francisco but the question is now what do I do and uh, the answer to that question uh, came very shortly uh, in fact it came kind of while I was driving across the country I got a call from my business manager and he said um, I'm talking to uh, Pat McNally. He, I said, uh, yeah. He said, Pat McNally's the guy that took over from Ed Cramp at Live 105. And he's kind of in, intimated that uh, they'd like to have you come back. Uh, they had had a guy by the name of Rick Stewart who had left the radio station, and they hired him back. And he said, if we could get Alex back, uh, we, it kind of like we'd be getting the radio station back together because what they did by letting Alex go and Rick Stewart quitting and a few other things happening is they created a radio station nobody wanted to listen to. And if we could just get Alex back and we got uh, you know uh, Rick back, uh, it might it might turn the station around. And so he was in discussions with Pat about me making a return to Live 105. So that kind of on the last leg of our trip kind of made me a little happier. 
But still, I was depressed. I, you know, coming off that Florida thing and whatever. And I've got to say, it's one of the worst times in my life, you know, if I had to be honest about it. Um, no prospects, but now this little glimmer of a prospect. So when I got back to San Francisco, um, the discussions had gotten into high gear. And I went down and I met with Pat McNally. And Pat said, we're interested in having you back. We'll bring you back at the uh, same salary that you left at. Uh, we will, um, uh, you know, give you the same freedoms that you had. Uh, although the program director said he was hoping I would play a little more music. You know, and I kept, uh, I've told you this before. I always felt with music that it was kind of like if you're a Jew and you go to somebody's house for dinner, they try to see if they can make you eat pork, okay? And uh, in the case of Alex Bennett, they always tried to see if they could make me play music. And the program director said, well, we'd really like you to play more music. Not a lot, but more. And I said, uh, look, I, was, I wanted to work. I said, okay, fine. And I, if I listen to the tapes now of the shows that happened after, uh, oh, say, I think it was April of, uh, of 1990, there's more music on those shows than there was on the tapes that I have earlier. Um, but I, you know, I, it was a small thing for me to do in order to get working again, and I needed the work badly, okay? And so um, the return of Alex Bennett to Live 105 was assured and I can't remember what date we started back on and why we picked that date or anything like that I think I was just ready to get back to work and you know I, I've never believed in ratings all that much because they go up they go down they go up for no apparent reason they go down for no apparent reason so here I am coming back to live 105 and when I had left my ratings were down they were down because, hey, as I told you, when you've been there a while, you've been in uh, town for a while, uh, they get awfully used to you. When you go away, they miss you, but, you know, they get used to you when you're there. And then they, they oh, hey, there's this new guy over on this other station. Let's listen to him for a while. So, you know, and they were batting, batting me left and right with, with competition and so on. But the ratings had gone down. But just before I left, uh, the ratings took a spike kind of upward but anyway uh at my height um at that station i think my rating was something like a 3.3 or a 3.4 something like that and uh, when i went oh, when i went back to the station their rating was down below a one i think and they brought me back in and so i figured ah, it's going to be a couple of months before these ratings you know take a spike upward uh, because it's going to take time to rebuild the audience. The next book that came out, we went up to a 3.3. It was like everybody said, Alex is back. Let's listen to the station. And it was reflected in the ratings, which is something that I really didn't think was going to happen. But, you know, I got to tell you, I was, let me let me say this, uh, and, and uh, I, I'm sure my old, boss, Ed Cramp, who listens to these things, would agree when I say that when I was uh, at Live 105 previous to this, I was pretty difficult. I could get very difficult. And I, I got very difficult because there is a pressure. 
that uh, only a person who's hosting a show like that and who's having to be the 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 what could we call it the set piece for the radio station for the rest of the day and and the income provider the largest income provider on a station the kind of pressure that I have also I had gotten up to a point where there were like eight people working on my show and if I fucked up or I you know uh, did terribly and I got fired they would go with me you know it was like the Viking king who. When he died, they killed his slave, and he, they put him on the boat and burned him too, you know. Um, the pressure is enormous. And you have a tendency to be somewhat of a prick because the pressure is difficult. And uh, I think that I was not the easiest guy, uh, the easiest employee to get along with at that point. And I think probably uh, Ed Cramp would agree with me. In fact, he's even stated to me. But he also said that firing me was probably the biggest mistake he made in his career. And I, I think I can quote him because he said that to me just a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, you know, I mean, I when this time back, I was a little more grateful for what I had. Uh, I didn't let it uh, kind of slow down my act or make me any less uh, fun to listen to or crazy or weird. But I, I, I did appreciate it, and I was kinder. I was more cooperative uh, to management. I, I, was, I was kinder to the people around me. And uh, I, I think, you know, I think mo most of the people who worked with me, with me in that second period said I was a kind of a changed person. And, you know, getting fired and having a very difficult prospect of finding work is a real leveler. It, it changes you a great deal and makes you uh, appreciate what you have. And uh, I was so happy. I mean, it was, like, it was like the nine months that had passed between me getting fired and going to Florida and then coming back from Florida and then going back on the air. About nine months, I think it was. Uh, was nine months that changed me a great deal in, as a professional. Uh, and, and I approached the job with a slightly different attitude. And uh, I, I, I also approached it with more joy than I had in the past, because in the past I had taken it way too seriously. So I'm back, and we're back doing the show. San Francisco listening audiences are there. They want to hear me. The ratings are there, and we're doing just great and i wish i could tell you stay tuned because things get worse again but no they stayed okay for a little bit they stayed okay for about oh seven years and we'll talk about those seven years as we continue looking on down the road this has been life in the passing lane an audio biography by me i'm alex bennett